0: guys, welcome back to Pure Evil MMA. Before we start this podcast, the beginning of it got cut off. So I just want to give you guys a quick heads up that today's guest is former UFC fighter Leo Kuntz, not Kuntz, Leo Kuntz. And we had a really interesting conversation. He even goes back to share his childhood, going back to 16, saying how we started smoking crystal meth. And I shared some of my backstory of how I've been in recovery for the last three years, going on four years. And it went really deep. This was one of my favorite interviews so far of 2019 because what made it so special was how honest it was just real talk and i appreciate when fighters are keeping things real keeping things 100 as the kids like to say so i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode episode number 238 or 239
1: almost at episode 240 and here we go let's start things off when i'm teasing you and shit, you know what i mean because they're going to be on my side you, you, you know what i mean when someone comes and trolls me so i'm about it you want to come troll me Fucking at Leo Lion MMA. Try it. You're gonna walk away disappointed because fucking your tongue ain't sharpened up and your brain's too fucking mashed.
0: Now on Instagram, the bio section it starts off with Dylan Danis as dodging me. Ex- explain this like beef. Like how how did this beef start?
1: over like- oh, Twitter, actually, I, I used to have my Twitter bio page it used to be. Dylan has me blocked because you know he's like your quint essential MMA troll. Yeah, there's no fighter out there that does their MMA or that does their social media like Dylan Dennis and he's it's worked very good for him. He's got you know also because he train uh, his management team and his association with Connor has helped him out way more than how he's done his Twitter. But also you know he's he's got he's hugely popular zero fighting skill as a fighter, zero Dylan, and Scott Coker too, You got, that's your business partner, that's the brains that you have in your head right there too, zero, honestly. That guy, he's not good for business, he's not good for anything. Alright, but anyways, anyways, so yeah, and he started getting after Dylan Dennis, he blocked me. Why? He doesn't want to fight anybody who's a real fighter, he wants cans right now, and that's what Coker wants to feed him his cans too, so he's. That's why he's going to get cans for a while. But that that's how our, that's how this whole thing with me and Dylan started. And if I ever see him in real life, well, you know, then we're going to have words. You, you know what I mean? And then there's going to be some, then there's going to be some words for sure. Well, explain your background. Like, what what are your
0: credentials in mixed martial arts? Like, jiu jitsu, muay thai. Like, what are, what what are your credentials?
1: My biggest credential as a mixed martial artist is. I'm seventeen, one and one as a welterweight. I haven't lost a fight in a welter as a welterweight, and if you don't call it the Ultimate Fighter show, which wasn't a professional bout, an exhibition bout, I haven't lost a fight at welterweight in like I don't even know how many longer than my ten years or something it's, like that. It's been a
0: minute. It's been a minute. Yeah.
1: But but as far as my background goes, as far as my background goes, I started off as a wrestler, and uh, from there. You know, I've trained at many gyms. I trained at Jackson Winklejohn for a little bit. Oh wow! Trained at. Uh, I've well, I've been at ATT now for boy, it's it's been almost five years since I've been at ATT, and uh, you know, three years in a row we're the best gym in the world right now. You know, so that that that's got to count for something. And then uh, mostly my biggest discipline that has helped me, the biggest discipline that's helped me, all around uh, everything, not uh, not just a fighting skill, but just all around as a person and. And where I'm going to go with my life after fighting and what what's going to define me beyond right. my my career in the cage is uh, Chinese Kung Fu, actually. It, really? It, yeah, that's right. That's right. And that that would be the single discipline that I, I'd attribute to any success, future success that I'm going to have in my career is going to be attributed to, in particular, um, Yang-style Tai Chi as taught and instructed by Grand Master Wei Lun Huang, uh, and that was my late Sifu who passed away. And uh, you know, the style of his his interpretation of the Yang style Tai Chi, it's uh, it's at a level. It's a Bruce Lee shit. You know what I mean? It's beyond Bruce Lee shit. It's 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 beyond that. And uh, and uh, and that, that's my honest opinion on that. And uh, you know, any future success I have in fighting is to be attributed to that, as well as training at American Top Team. You know, that's 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 uh, that, that goes without saying. Now,
0: obviously, when you bring that up, I feel like that's so important for a lot of fighters to figure out. Maybe not early in the career, but you know, at some point in their career, you got to think of a plan B because this sport is so unforgiving. You make it to the UFC, you're out. It's so much harder to get back in. You need to come up with a plan B a lot of the time. So, what's your background with that? Because I know a couple of fighters that uh, one's name is Jesse James Kozakowski, and his father is part of the lineage with Bruce. And just listen to him, him and his father talk about that. The history is so rich, and there's so many people out there that are so interested in all of that. Where did your interest start with that? Well,
1: Bruce Lee was one of them, obviously. Yes. And then, you know, any kung fu, martial arts movie, The Matrix, all that shit, you know? And you're like, hey man, you know, cause on TV they make kung fu look really awesome. And then when you actually start to do some research into it, you know, and I'm also into yoga, meditation uh, lots of these other i'm not sure if you're familiar with vim Hof at all i've heard I,
0: it i've heard that yeah
1: hey i practice i take almost not only cold showers but 50 percent or more of my showers are cold explain know? to it's,
0: listeners why that's important for your body to heal
1: well, there's lots of different reasons for it uh the biggest reasons uh that i can understand you know i i i'm not uh, i haven't done any of the bim crash courses or nothing like that i just have picked some stuff up off the internet that i use from him i have plans on eventually doing some of this stuff on the finances get uh more where they need to be but uh j- just a very brief brief explanation of what it does for you is your endocrine system it helps your endocrine system to function properly and your endocrine system is what produces all of the hormones in your body? Okay, so when when you're taking these cold showers, it helps your body to adapt to uh, stress and to adapt to these environmental changes. Okay, and how does your body do that? On a hormonal level, right? It needs needs to change things around. And then there's di- there's different breathing exercises and techniques that he uses like that that actually change the physiology of your body, that that change your your blood actually becomes more uh more um alkali than acidic and th- and things like that because of your breathing and the way that you monitor your breathing and the amount of oxygen that's in your blood and, and just lots of different things i like i said i'm not i'm not- i'm not taking any classes I'm not certified in the Wim Hof method but this is just what i've gathered from uh reading this stuff on the internet being interested in him and you know practicing the cold showers myself it's uh it's much better for waking up than a cup of coffee, you know, which I still I still drink a cup of coffee in the morning anyways. But the cold shower, especially here in South Florida, it's just like, oh. And then, of course, the, the other benefits to it is, is it give, it, you become more adapted to the cold. So now I can sit in ice tubs for much longer time and things like that and be able to, you know, have my whole body get the, get these benefits of, of sitting in ice tubs, you know, which is like, for inflammation, pains, recovery, all that stuff. It's just tons of benefits. You know, it's icing your whole entire body at the same time.
0: So, well, I, I really feel like this is important, not just as an athlete, but anyone could get a benefit from that. Whether, you know, you're, or, you're, you're really stressed out as a, a single mother, or you're getting yelled at by your boss no. every day.
1: This can help everybody. That's right, that's right, it really can. And, and the, if you guys don't know about Vim Hof, go check him out, I'm not. <laughs> I have no affiliation with Vim Hof. Okay, just go check that guy out, Vim Hof. Now, have W-M-H-O-F. you H O F?
0: Have you ever done cryotherapy, like the, uh, the the cooling tanks, or or what are they yep. called? The uh... yep. cryotherapy. Yep. Cryotherapy. Yep. Yeah. Have you yep. ever done that? And what is that like? Because there's one here in the city yep. that uh, Nick Newell goes to that I'm interested in uh, checking out.
1: Yep. I like it. I like cryotherapy. It's it's uh, it worked out really good for me. It's a bit ex- depending on who you go through. It's a bit expensive. Uh, sessions can run 25 35 dollars depending on where you're going and exactly what type of machine they're using there's different ones that like a lid comes down over your neck you know so it holds yeah. all liquid nit- – because it's basically like uh, liquid nitrogen that's that's um, turned into a gas is, is basically what it they like shooting liquid nitrogen in there and then it it, it turned it no longer becomes a liquid it evaporates and it becomes gas basically because it's you know and, and that's all those all those chambers work and, uh you know the it, I loved it I loved it it was it, it was great if I had one I mean I'd, I'd still do cryo every day if I could let me
0: ask you this uh this is a a topic that I brought up with Elias Theodoro uh, a couple a couple of times and I've been asking a lot of you know UFC fighters or um you know just everybody that's been on the show that has some sort of involvement in this kind of topic but with you I don't really know much of your your background with what I'm about to bring up. Now, when you get injured in a fight, you go see your doctor, right? And and they'll give you, you know, not even give you, they'll hand you opiates to recover. Would you, but yet, but yet, you can't recover with THC, which a lot of these fighters out there, they don't want opiates. They know the dangers of opiates. They'd rather recover with THC. But yet, if you get caught with THC, like Nick Diaz did, You're suspended for two years. What are your thoughts on that and the regulations of uh, having an option to recover with something other than an opiate and using something like, uh, you know, not even smoking it, but just you know, gummies or or anything? Well, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, first off, I think what needs to happen is there instead of these sanctioning committees making all the rules for every, you know, locality that they fight in. Okay, you go fight in Nevada, California. Thailand, Singapore, London, everywhere you go, has a different commission that you have to follow these different rules, right? And then, then there's USADA and all this shit, right? Well, in my opinion, what I think the answer to all this is is a unified rules and ranking system, okay? And and for the for these promotions, and this way we can get some ground rules together and say, hey, this is the rules now for everybody, for everything. So there's no confusion, yeah. That's right, and of course. You know, they're 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 you know like with marijuana and you know THC and these things like this, When I was when I was in the UFC, the policy that they were enforcing for my second fight, not my first fight. My first fight was pre-Usada, if I remember correctly. And my second fight was post-Usada, if I remember correctly. If I remember correctly. And the po- the the second fight that I had. I knew for sure that I was not getting tested out of camp in or out of camp for THC. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but I'm going to anyways. So I knew, I knew for sure that because that's what they were, that's the information that I was giving. Not, I didn't get it from USADA, but I got it from other places that that was, that that's what was going on is that in or out of camp, they are not testing you for THC only pre and post fight. Do they test you for THC? So, with that in being said, at that time, you actually c- could recover. You just couldn't. In You know, you had to quit smoking, like, depending on your body and how much you're willing, how much of a chance or how much of a risk you're willing to take on a suspension, you know, two weeks to a month for your fight. You'd have well, to quit. Let me ask you this. Let me
0: ask you this. Would you agree with me that you'd cause more damage to your body using painkillers over THC?
1: Painkillers over anything. That's... Yeah. I don't... I don't even I've I got prescribed hydros for you can probably see my shoulder on this side right here. Let's see. Let me pull you into the full screen here for everybody. Yeah. All right, there you um, go. See it, but it's all jacked up on this one side There's right There's a there. big bump there. That's for the people right, listening to the right. podcast. Yeah. That's because I have a, a separated, I have a separated AC on that side. And when that happened, they prescribed me hydros because it was very painful and they said if the pain don't go away I have to have surgery but the pain finally went away I could not take the recommended dosage that they gave me because I couldn't fucking function yeah you you know I know everybody is handles painkillers differently but I couldn't function I had I, I couldn't even go to at that time I was working full time masonry I couldn't I couldn't even go I was the boss I owned the company and I couldn't go to the I couldn't go to work because I'd I like falling asleep. That's what they did to me. Like, I know some people say hydro's like jack them up. Like they'll get, you know, okay, This is the weird thing with painkillers.
0: And they're very addictive. That's the issue. That's a huge issue.
1: Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: You look at fighters like, you know, I don't even got to bring up names, but there's so many fighters out there that legends that have fallen, a uh, addict to the painkillers because the doctors hand them out after every fight. We even, you know, uh, Justin Wren. I, I I've spoken to Justin Wren. He's very open about it. So I don't feel any type of way about bringing this up because it's very well known when he was on the ultimate fighter, he was on painkillers and his story is so inspiring. And when you, when you're on that, not only is it dealing with, cause let's be real, it's not a painkiller. It's not healing your pain. It's really just, not, it doesn't even numb you. It just brings you to cloud nine. And it's yeah. very addictive, and for people out there that have depression or this or that or anxiety, it helps with all that. But the long-term effects—you're you're going through hell. You're going to bring your family through hell. I mean, I, you name it, it's, it's awful. A level
1: of addiction because I mean, like it yeah. doesn't just stop at eating pills. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, with with painkillers, I mean, you know, you—it's a nerve-
0: lifelong battle.
1: You can fucking break that shit down and shoot it up, no problem. You know, I, 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 I myself have been into, uh, I, I was a very hard meth addict, very hardcore meth Oh, addict. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right out of high school for many years, until I was probably 21, 22. And, um, you know, so so being in that scene, you know, I never got into the needles and things like that. But uh, as close as you could get without without, without intravenous injection, is you know, next closest thing but anyways
0: well no 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 stop stop right there because i can relate with you there i've been clean for three years all my listeners know this i i still have track marks on my arm mixed martial arts broadcasting has saved my life i started my uh, broadcasting career at seven years old but when you're in high school it started with uh being on the football team uh tearing my meniscus getting surgery and getting the pain pills oh so you started oh wow you know so
1: it's uh it's crazy what you go through. You're but, very fortunate then, Evil Eddie, because that's uh, not everybody has the same story to tell once you get into needles and painkillers. Pain well, kills.
0: that's why, on uh, I'd say about 50 to 75% of my shows, at the end, I say, you know what? If you enjoyed this show, that's what life's all about. Like last night, Uriah Faber getting the knockout. Uh, seeing him return, you're at the edge of your seat. That's living, that's a nor- that's a natural high, that's an excitement. That's why we love sports to begin with. We don't need anything outside of it. It's being able to relate and feeling the act, the real excitement, that's living.
1: That's right.
0: You know, can you exactly. share a little bit about your story? How did you get involved with that?
1: Yeah. yeah, well, basically, um you know, in high school things were always really good for me. And, you know, not like I was, uh, I wasn't privileged or nothing like that. I, I, you know, we had very meager means. my I was raised by a single father. Okay, get that. I was raised by a single father. And uh, so we had, you know, we, our means were very limited. We were one of those families. Like everybody, I was an 80s kid. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, born 1983. You know, at that time, you know, just coming out of recessions, things like that, the money was, you know, and growing up in a small community, money was not. Money was scarce, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, so that's how it was where I grew up. So, but I had a good childhood, had a good upbringing, life was good. And then I got into high school. I was in the army, uh, army, army national guard for a short period of time. I got kicked out for, imagine that, drug use. Wow. But it was actually, yeah, it actually was a very, very good because I was a very good, went as good as it could have because I, I was a very good. Uh, very good soldier. While I was in the in the National Guard, and because of that, I, I, I you know I graduated high uh, near the top of my class uh, in in basic training and AIT, and uh, so so they were very very uh, lenient with me, and they knew that I had an issue. You know they knew that too, so they were very lenient with me. And, and uh, but anyways, I just I got it wasn't even the wrong crowd. It was just it was just a, the big the change from not having any responsibilities to having responsibilities. And then also, also, you know, I, a lot of my friends all kind of like went off and did their own thing right out of high school. I went to the army, National Guard, and then I came back and I was like six months behind everybody, you know, like six. So I come back and now everybody had already made new friends or going to college. So it was like a little bit left behind a little bit. And then I kind of turned to drugs and partying to make up for the gap. And then I started off, you know, I was always a weed smoker, never a drinker, but I started drinking heavily. Drinking is the gateway drug. If anybody wants to know out there, in my opinion, not, not weed. That's not in my opinion. not weed.
0: I'll agree with that. Yeah.
1: Alcohol is the gateway drug. Okay. And I started drinking and, Then when you start drinking, the inhibitions get loose, and next thing you know, I'm fucking trying some cocaine, and then pretty soon it's ecstasy, and then meth. Well, meth, actually, was the first hard drug I ever tried, and it was in high school. Where
0: were you living at this point in time? Because I feel like where you live depends on what drugs are available as well.
1: North Dakota, rural North Dakota. At that time, they were busting the second or third most meth labs in the nation, in the state of North Dakota. That,
0: that, that's it's absolutely insane.
1: A year, little, little over 300 a year, almost one a day. lapse they were busting in North Dakota. Well, here's, here's
0: another thing that I got to bring up before you continue on with your story. How, how old were you at this point? So people can get a reference.
1: The first time I ever did crystal, well, the, not crystal meth, because the, the first time I ever did an amphetamine, which at the time we would call crank, not yeah. crystal meth. They're different. Okay. Different. Like crystal meth is the... Purest version and then crank is like the garbage version okay and i tried the first time i ever did crank i was probably 16. wow wow yep and at that time i would do it like once every other month and maybe wouldn't even stay up for a night usually you know, because I do it in the morning and then, I, you know, I was just, oh, yeah, it's kind of fun. I hardly even feel anything when you first start doing it. You're just like, oh,
0: this was <laughs> available like wherever at 16. This was available ever,
1: but not wherever. But it was available enough to where if you were a kid that smoked weed and drank and partied. And people knew that you kept your mouth shut. Yeah, it would find you type of thing. You didn't have to go look for it. Can I ask what year this is uh, that this happened? Let me see, two thousand six I graduated, so probably 1990, or about 2000, right around 2000. Wow. 20. Graduation right around 2000.
0: So yeah. now it's 2020, and I feel like the culture back then with drugs was a, a little bit more quiet, but now if you look at the music scene, if you look at movies, if you look at video, it's like celebrated. Like all the it's all these true. rappers,
1: they- true. Yeah, party, drugs are. party drugs are celebrated yeah and then because people think you know and I hey I used to be about it too you know and it's like now now I'm like I mean if I said that I won't ever do a drug again in my life I'd probably be lying you know but uh I could tell you I can tell you this much for sure I no longer endorse drug use or <laughs> you know what I mean like things like that it's uh it's a it's a, it's a I'm lucky to be here. I can tell you that. Now, for sure. as I'm sure you probably are too. you won't Eddie yeah. Well, man, I wake up every day. I, I, wake, I
0: literally open my eyes, excited to jump on Twitter and see what happened. in MMA community. See what people are saying. People are talking about because it's a healthy, it's a healthy outlet going to the gym, healthy outlet. Now for you, when was the turning point of you turning your life around at this point?
1: MMA, believe that or not, right? MMA, right? Of course, everybody who who, who wouldn't say that. But honestly, seriously, that that's what it was. So I right around I had my first professional fight at about twenty three ish. I was just over twenty twenty one, twenty two. Professional, you said? Yep, oh, yep. I didn't have an amateur career, and actually, it was a. It, I was told that it was a professional fight. Got paid for it, like it was a professional fight it was a smokers tournament that they told me was a probe out. So I'm like looking at my fucking sure dog record, trying to figure out why I don't have these fucking fights on there. And the guy's like, well, yeah, it wasn't sanctioned. Like, it's a smokers. It was a fought a smokers fight, you know? And I was like, well, whatever. I mean, I know you know, now it's kind of like, ah, you can get in trouble. And you you know, it's not good, but nobody's going to
0: fucking. Is the thirst real? Like after you have your first actual professional fight, does something click in your mind after where you get thirsty to, follow that path or like where were you feeling after that
1: i don't think it has anything to do with your first professional fight or anything like that i think it has to do with when you realize that when you know not when you think when you know that this you can take this far you know that's when i think for everybody is when it clicks when was that moment for you when did that happen you know somewhere probably around 10 wins something like that i went i went 4-0, 4 and then I lost my first fight to a guy I should have fucking smoked. And that was a wake up call, but in a different way. You know, I still, at that time, I wasn't certain that I could make the, you know, UFC. I was like, oh man, I probably, I could probably do something really good with it. But when I got to about like 10, 11 wins, one loss, I'm starting to fight tough competition. That's, that was really, and then, and then actually, as much as I like to rag on uh, Jackson Winklejohn and uh, and uh, John Jones and things like that. Not, Coach Winklejohn, I don't really have much to say bad about at all. But Jackson, that's different. And I won't get into that at all or anything. But John Jones, too, I don't like that guy either. But anyways. Whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to at least give
0: us a little taste of why, why you say that. Because there going to be a lot of people confused. Uh, okay.
1: Uh, The reason I don't like John Jones is I think he's bad for the sport. I don't like what he represents. He's a cheater. He says he's not a cheater. He lies. He's fake. I don't give a fuck if you're the GOAT, if you're the best fighter in the world. I don't care. If you have bad character, I'm not going to like you. I don't give a shit what kind of fighter you are. And that's that's, that's, that's just how I roll. And so, yeah, John Jones, you can fucking suck it. You know, I don't care. If I see you, I ain't shaking your hand. I ain't going to say hello. I ain't going to do nothing, man, except for say, hey. I'll fight you in the ring. Fuck, pay me, Anna. You better pay me. I'll fight that motherfucker.
0: Now, what 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 did you think about, um, you know, his last fight with Santos? Did did you score that for Santos? Did you score it for John?
1: It's... you know. So I'm a little biased, naturally, you know. And it's like he did a he, he did a hell of a job, and you know, he, he was injured coming into the fight, you know, and injured coming out of the fight you know so it's just one of those things where i I hope he gets to run it back and i can tell you this much dana white saying anybody that had that anybody that had that fight scored for him was watching a different fight well dana that's for you too you know like that's stupid no no that was he said that
0: to brett okamoto and brett okamoto's reaction was like oh yeah like that that was a a funny little clip because brett scored it for santos
1: well, that's what I mean. It was, you know, it was a super close fight, and I'd sure like to see it run back with Santos completely healthy, you know, because yeah, uh, uh, seeing him in the gym and things of like that. He's a bad dude, you know what I mean? He's a bad dude. Now let's jump back
0: a, a quick second. You're at your eleven, your eleventh win. Now, when did you start realizing that you are UFC caliber, and how did that uh blossom into you know?
1: Honestly, to be honest, I didn't start reeling, I was u- realizing I was UFC caliber until probably a month ago, you know, is when, for me, it really started clicking home because when I first came to the gym here about four years ago, you know, there I, there was times where I was like, hey, I know I can make it to the UFC. But at I American Top
0: have... Team, South Florida, correct? That's right.
1: American yes. Top Team Headquarters, Coconut Creek. I train at the headquarters, yep. And I've been there for five years almost now. And... When I first came to the gym and I first got my first UFC fight, that that's when I knew, because for me, I was still, my first UFC fight was last minute. I didn't know about it. My manager called, hey, we got a fucking UFC fight. Can you take it? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's take of it. Yeah. And I was 195 pounds, fat and soft, sit, drinking beer, eating fucking McDonald's every day. And then I, my my first UFC fight was two months later. Wow, you
0: know, rolling off the couch, as people would say.
1: Coming off the couch, that's yeah. right. Go, actually, at a point, going, man, I don't know if I can make this happen anymore. And that's what I told my manager. I was like, hey, listen, Monty, Monty Cox is my manager. I was like, hey, listen, Monty, I'm at a point in my life where we need to make this shit happen. I need to get on the big show, or I, you know, I gotta figure something else out with my life. And you know, that's that's just that's just kind of where I was at at that point. He got me in there, and even then, I felt really good, but as the closer I got to one fifty five and I also got hurt at the gym before my first fight too. Because when I first came into the gym I was tearing it up, tearing it up in the gym there. And I was toted as one of the top prospects at the time coming into the gym at, at that time. And uh you know I wasn't close to one fifty five though. My weight wasn't when I came into that gym and I just I was really willing practice. I worked hard. I did what the coaches said. It didn't matter. I just did what they said all the time. Twenty eight, something like that, twenty nine, to almost thirty. I was you know, and I aged very my my, my I age very well. I'm very fortunate like that. So I'm thirty six right now, thirty five. No, no way, really? Yep. Wow. I'm going to be 36 in October, so I've I, you know I've been aging very well. I do a lot of things to keep my body young and to keep my body natural and healthy. The things I eat. The, we'll end the, the
0: show. Uh, we'll end the show with a little information of some tips with that for sure.
1: For sure, what you guys need to do is you need to have a daily practice, whatever it is—yoga, uh, tai chi, qigong. Okay, these are you need to get yourself a daily, even even lifting, whatever it may be. But there needs to be something else in there that is more metaphysical. That's uh something that's meditative, something that 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 takes you out of the that, that, that takes your mind and lets you work with your mind as well. And and that's what helps mostly uh, I mean your diet, your activity level, well, all those things. But, all all those things definitely
0: incorporate like what 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 you're eating could make you a little bit more tired or but I feel right. like this day and age we get things thrown at us from this angle, that angle, above, below. That there's so much going on. You're. It's very rare to find somebody with a calm, cool, collected energy. This day and age,
1: and that's what the daily practice cultivates for you. Is it's like your when it's not just. That's why I said lifting's great, but you got to have something a little, a little bit beyond that that brings it to this metaphysical level. Where, in in these practices, they call it an energy work. Okay, so yoga, tai chi, qigong, they call it energy work. And basically, what it is is it's like, you know, if if you know if you believe that your body has an energy that is that's not just that's not just electrical impulses, that's something else in your body. Whether you call it an aura, I agree with that. qigong, yeah, yeah. they call it chi. In yoga, they call it prana. There's lots of different names for your life force. In Christianity, they call it your soul. Okay, And all these things, I, I relate them myself, all very similar to the same thing. And I believe that that's something that you need to exercise and maintain and develop and cultivate if you want to be living the fullest, highest possible version of yourself.
0: Living your best life, as the kids would living say now. Living
1: your best life, that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Now, on, honestly, man, what is next for you? Before, before we let you go, I think we got four, uh, four and a half minutes left. Okay. What's the future? Road FC? Is that, is that what I'm seeing? What are we doing right now? Well,
1: you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to leave that up to my manager. He's, he's okay. great. Um, he's great. So my manager, he's going to get fights for me. But right now, I can tell you this. The next time you're going to see me fight, is probably going to be in a boxing cave, a boxing ring. Why? Bring that. There's so many fighters I've talked to, and that people see on Twitter.
0: You know, even Jose Aldo, uh, yeah. Stepaniuk. A lot of these guys are flirting with the idea of boxing is it because there's more money, or why? I
1: mean, motherfucking sport pays, and it's you yeah. can fight. The oldest boxing world champion is 52, Bernard Hopkins, and he got paid for that motherfucking fight. Okay, you know, and. and how long, what's the oldest world MMA world champion 45 was it in his last like, fight didn't he get uh like
0: knocked out the ring was that him in the in the last fight or was i that? think was that bernard hopkins that got knocked out the ring in his last fight or am i thinking of someone baby, else Maybe,
1: i don't know i don't know if bernard hopkins i don't think he's yeah, still it's probably
0: fighting. somebody else it was probably yeah, somebody else I think he's
1: still fighting bernard, bernard hopkins i think he's got to be like 60
0: now. yeah I, I can't remember who it was I
1: think his but his last fight I think he retired after winning the championship at 52. What do you
0: think about BKFC? Would that be an option for you? I've um, been following uh, along with that. It,
1: it would, but I would have to have – it'd have to be no holds barred. I'm not going to go in there and box bare Uncle. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are fucking stupid. Why would you want to go in there and – you know what I mean? It's like, hey, you're basically going in there and saying, hey, uh, let's see – how dumb we are and sit and punch the fuck out of each other with no fucking gloves on until one of us can't move anymore. You know now, what I mean? See those guys? If you're going to do something like that, make it no holds barred completely. No holds barred. Get the fight over with, man. Go in there, break someone's fucking arm. Okay. That's the type of shit I'm talking about. That I would do. This bare knuckle boxing, I'll go fight on a boxing match and save my face, save my body live another healthy year of my life and, uh, get paid more. Do you follow
0: you know? along? Do you get worried about, uh, CTE and, uh, in this sport?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's something you need to worry about is your, 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 not just your mental health, but the physiologically the health of your brain in this sport is very important and more so in boxing, in my opinion, and more so in football, in my opinion, than, than fighting. But, when you sustain a knockout like Ben Askren did, yeah, that's a bad knockout. One of the worst that I've seen, you know, and Ben is a tough, tough dude, you know, and to get KO'd like that, you took some trauma, you, you know what I mean? So that, you know, and, uh, you know, so it's like, Hey, what, if that was me, would I fight again? Certainly. Yeah, certainly I would, you know, but, uh, especially at his point where he's at he possibly w- world champion you know is in the discussion i know it doesn't didn't look good after his fight but it couldn't want you know though things like that uh they're milliseconds is what may- i'm not trying to take anything away from george i train with fucking george george is a killer i had him win in that fight okay he's a killer george is a killer he just does not care he's a fighter through and through game bred. he's fucking game bred. that's you know
0: he he just oh. loves
1: every minute of it, and he is.
0: But still, for Ben oh. Askren, it's his first loss, only loss on his record. Yep. You yep. know, I feel like a lot of the MMA community, uh, they they love guys to play that role like Kobe does over over at your gym, and they they tune in to watch them fall, and when they fall, they fall hard, and you know, it, yeah, it's sad.
1: He, yeah, and and it's you know it's kind of like hey you know. Um, you know, like us, with all that stuff. Hey, it's it's part of the sport. Those guys that are talking like that. Hey, I'm getting getting to be one of them now too. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I, my my tongue sharp on Twitter. I, well, because you know, it I'm, works. Um,
0: you realize yes, at this okay. point that's what people eat up.
1: And that's what I needed to get my to get my Twitter going. And now yeah. I've been making experiments with my Twitter. And you know what? My trashy stuff doesn't get as much traction as my stuff promoting myself as a traditional martial artist. You know, I, when I, actually the stuff that's best is when I mix it, okay? When I take it, like I put out a tweet about there, I was like, kung fu is the best martial art in the world, change my mind.
0: Yeah, okay? yeah. You
1: know, and like, hey, I'm being serious, but also I'm trying to be a little boisterous and, you know. Challenging, uh, challenging. That's right. that's right, and that tweet went fucking wild. You know, it just went wild, you know? And, and for and then another one, um, for the gym, American top team. I was like, Oh, these guys think they got the best gym in the world three years in a row. And then it was like pictures of all our belts, you know what I mean? So was, and and that one got a whole bunch of traction too, you know? So it's just like, I, I, I'm trying to, cause I'm not really, I don't like playing the heel and it's not, you know, it's fun, but. But it's, it's not you who you are it actually. Isn't, it yeah. isn't, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't, you know? And and I'm just not at a point in my career where I can do it successfully either, because there's going to be so many challenges in my way. If I was already in the UFC and things like that, sure, then I could just continue, you know, to play a heel really, play a heel really nice. But um, and it helps when it's just, you know, it helps, it helps when it's just there too. You know what I mean? Which is so strange with 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 Kobe, because he honestly in the gym is one of the nicer high level guys in the gym
0: i've interviewed him before i've interviewed him before and i'll tell you this during the entire interview he was playing that gimmick but afterwards you talk to him he's so nice calm cool collected guy it's part of the 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 sport
1: now it it, that's just how it is you know all i gotta say is hey what you know i love what he's doing on twitter and He's, he's actually one of my favorite fighters. And, you know, I, I, he's just he's, he's a pleasure to see at the gym, too. Well, you know is, I mean? like, is
0: there a point of going too far?
1: I don't know. I don't think so, man. It's fucking Twitter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you yeah. It's fucking Twitter, bro. Like, I don't know.
0: I mean, we, my... we do have freedom of speech here in America. We have freedom yeah, of speech.
1: It's, you know, that's what I mean. It's like, hey, you know, it, if you're getting people worked up, I think you're doing your job. That's my opinion, because you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna come tell you about it. And then you know what's gonna happen? Your buddies, your fans are gonna be like, no, piss off, and it's gonna blow, and all of a sudden you got your Twitter, likes, 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 retweets, retweets, retweets. That's what it's about, right? Get your traffic going, right? Get the likes, get the retweets, get all that shit. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad.
0: Before we let you go, I got got one more important question for you, because people tuning in, they're, they're hyped up from last night. Was that a late call, Jermaine Durandamy versus Aspen Ladd? What would you consider – I mean, an early call, early call.
1: I mean, she – I didn't think after she took the shot, I – you know, is it early? Would I have been upset if it was me? Yeah, naturally. Yeah. (laughs) Naturally, I would have been upset, you know. But do I see her – do I see Aspen coming back? And you know, I think she just gets more punishment put on her, especially after seeing her weight cut. That, that, I'm glad
0: you brought that up. For people out there that don't understand, when you look at her, you've been through weight cutting before, what what does that really feel like? And can you really recover that well in 24 hours?
1: You think you can, your mind tells you you can, but your body doesn't, just how it works, it just That's why guys like George Masvidal, Dustin Poirier are upweight classes and in title contention. Was
0: that a factor last night with the uh, knockout, you believe, had something to do with the weight cutting and what her body was actually going through with Aspen? Yeah, of course
1: you can. Did you see how she threw? She was just throwing like – she looked like an amateur when she was coming in with that punch, you know, and just – body and it's not her fault I mean she didn't give herself she didn't set herself up to perform the best because of the weight cut that she decided to do I I was the same way going to 155 I'm one in three as 155 pounder okay I'm 17 one and one as a welterweight you know and it's like that's that's a big gap that's not 10 pounds that's 15 pounds you're talking you know I'll Right now, right now, I'm walking around right now, I'm walking around talking 195 pounds right now. I'm 195 pounds right now. 100, 195 pounds right now. and I used to fight 155.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man. that's so crazy. So you would agree that that was an early call that that herb did do the right thing, or would you want it like to I ride said, out like, for a couple seconds? Like I
1: said, I'd be pissed, okay If that I'd was be you if it was me. But I, in that instance, did not see her. I didn't see it changing the way the flight went.
0: La- last, thing, la- last thing I want to bring up, man. Uh, right now, you're training down at ATT. What is it, like 108 degrees down there right now? Uh,
1: I feel it, it doesn't, you know, I mean, shit. Once you're down here for four or five years, it's just sweaty ball hot. That's, you yeah. know, like 100 <laughs> to like 90, it doesn't make much difference. It's just sweaty ball hot.
0: Now, do you what do you do outside of fighting? Like, uh, obviously, you were talking about Adam Hunter. Uh, do you like to go to comedy shows? Like, what do you do in South Florida?
1: I love stand-up comedy, but uh, I don't usually go to shows live. Uh, but Adams, I, I, Adams, I had to just. Because...
0: You been to one of his shows?
1: I have, yeah. I've been to two of his. Well, one one of his shows, one comedy show, and then also, um, also the MMA roasted uh, are the the. The podcast, MMA Award. No, Oh, okay. MMA awards. He was a writer. For, yeah, for, you, usually he usually is. A head writer, yeah. And I went to that. He he actually, uh, I actually got hooked up by some tickets and shit. So yeah, it was pretty sick. Wait, uh, this recent one that we just saw, you were there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. I was there. Yeah. Yep. What did
0: you think about the uh, thing that he wrote with uh, Woodley and uh,
1: the Old Town I, uh, Road? I like Adam, so I thought it was funny, and I like how he's able to change gears with his comedy. You know what I mean? Like it's not always roasting you. I like him. That's how when I think he's at his best is when he has no filter. Resi- yes, and, and not just no filter, but some resistance. Like something, something like when he's being heckled or. You know, things like that. That's when I see Adam at. That's when I think he's at his best. It's like when when he's uh, not like aggressive, but kind of challenged. You know what I mean? Like when someone's like, oh, you know, and it's like, I think he should have like a sidekick on his shit. That's like saying stupid stuff, you know, so that it just get him rolling. You know what I mean? I mean, when when
0: it comes to Adam, if you just watch the PFL thing, I think he's such a great entertainer that if you guys aren't listening to MMA Roasted and don't get a taste of him, I mean this this guy's he should be a legend at this. He should be like a Joe Rogan, but there's something there that's holding him
1: back. I don't know what it is. What do you need I don't to think, do? I don't, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's more just the system. You know what I mean? And like it's just hey, there's, they've are, Rogans already in that spot there in the UFC. You know what I mean? So that you can't you can't make two of them. Well, I'll tell what you I mean? what it is.
0: I'll tell you what it is. It's people getting offended and not realizing it's comedy. It's just a joke and they that's take it too true. serious.
1: That too, yeah, that too. And you know, like I said, me personally that's where I think he's at his best. But with the with the award show, he's so funny when he does you know, that was very family oriented. The award show, the comedy. You know, I mean there was a couple little, you know, things in there, you know, what I mean adult comedy, but for the most part like Ben Ben uh, Baby after, Shark. Like, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean? I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's, so it's not like it's nice to see comedians like that. You know, Eddie Murphy reminds me. But his was like a different, a total different transformation. He wasn't doing it at the same time. You know what I mean? Like he was. It was Eddie Murphy raw, and then it was fucking flubber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we doing it both at the same time, which is you know it's it's amazing to be able to change gears like that and, and keep people laughing and keep people interested we
0: need that man I, I i really believe that the fighters need that too because what you guys go through is so chat it's so challenging it's so inspirational but sometimes you just need to laugh and you need to laugh at our scene sometimes and we don't have many comedians in the scene yeah joe rogan's a comedian but when you listen to his podcast there's no comedy you listen to adam it's pure gold right. i wake up in the morning i turn on an mma roasted i'm sitting in the car i'm laugh. laughing yeah you trying to make you laugh that's yeah. you know that's all there is to it.
1: and that's what's and, like, that's just part of his personality, too. You know, after getting to hang out with him a couple times, and, you know, it's just, yeah, he's, he's uh, just definitely part of his personality, and I, I just like everything about him. He's, he's great for the sport, and I, I wish nothing but great things for him. Leo. You, Evil Eddie.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Leo. And I, I want to thank you for joining us here on Pure Evil MMA. Before we go, this is what we do uh, at the end of every podcast. I hand the imaginary microphone over to you. But really quick, before I do that, What do you have in store for the rest of 2019? Like, what are your goals for the rest of the year?
1: Boxing, maybe two or three times this year. Yeah.
0: You you definitely do want to fight no matter whether it's boxing, MMA, you do want to. I'm
1: scheduled. I'm scheduled for boxing already. Oh, okay. All right. Awesome. And do you have a date? I do. I have one date for sure. Uh, October 12th in North Dakota. It's like an exhibition type of bout. That one's exhibition type of bout, but, uh, uh, I'm gonna, uh, before that, I may possibly do a pro fight. Uh, and then after that, I'm gonna do another pro fight before the end of the year as well, boxing.
0: So. That's exciting, man. So I wanna thank you so much. We're gonna hand the imaginary microphone over to you. If you have any shout outs, sponsors, especially your social media tags, the floor is now all yours. That's
1: right, well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Evil Eddie. I'm just gonna shout out Adam Hunter one more time because he's the shit. You guys better go follow him. He's awesome, MMA is the shit. Follow me at Leo lion MMA. That's my Twitter. If you guys want to see somebody keeping it 100% real, not giving a fuck, just telling you the truth, go find me on Twitter. Also, you can find me on Instagram at King Koontz. I'm not quite as active on my Instagram. I'm going to be getting much more active soon, uh, much more at, more active sooner. So uh, check me on both those, uh, both those uh, platforms and uh, let's hang out. Really quick. I gotta
0: ask you: are You got you gotta call out uh, Dylan Dennis You gotta call out Bellator. Oh. What are the odds of that really happening? Are you really trying you to know, get
1: that? Scott Coker don't want to see me fight Dylan Dennis That's his business partner. <laughs> he want they want to feed him cans. You know what I mean? That's why Dylan's got me blocked because he don't <laughs> want to fight anybody who's legitimate. You know what I mean? And, and actually, I you know my manager's actually talking to Coker for a little while, and you know things were sounding. You know, like this, but it was like, hey, man, I ain't looking for fucking like this. I'm 17-1-1 one as one a welterweight. You know what I mean? I'm, 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 They offered me two fights with Ben Askren. Two oh, wow. Fights with Ben Askren when he was with the promotion. Yeah. And now they won't even let me, now they won't even fucking give me some little shit con-